we don't own our businesses. We don't own enough businesses. So I want to encourage anyone who looks like me, um, if they have an idea, to pursue it. Right. And we're back. Welcome to the latest episode of Commerce and Chill. I am Jessica Johnson Cope. I'm Waleed. What's good? I'm breathing. I'm alive. It's another day. I'm doing what we love, so I can't complain. All right. Or so loving what I do. Well, Maybe that. Okay. That sounds good, too. A few weeks ago, if you were with us, you might have heard me mention that I got the opportunity to listen to some insights and encouragement from Mr. Warren Buffett. I am a graduate of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program, and Mr. Buffett is on the advisory council. In fact, he's one of the founding members of the advisory council for the program, which provides business executive level education through community colleges, access to capital, and mentoring to help high um, potential small businesses in select markets grow. So we were part of the very first class in the very first city here in New York at LaGuardia Community College. Shout out to Asahi Pompey, who is the president of the Goldman Sachs Foundation and gives leadership to the overall initiative as well as to 10,000 women abroad. And to Jessica Taylor, one of my favorite Jessicas in the world, who is the program director, the national program director. Um, anyway, Mr. Buffett was part of a program to celebrate what they called 10,000 Strong. Back in 2009, the firm launched the initiative. And here it is now in 2020, and they have officially graduated 10,000 small businesses through the program here in the United States. And so that's a significant milestone. And thinking about that, I thought today would be a great day to talk about milestones because this is, drum roll please. Episode 50. The big five oh. So that's significant. I'm so depressed. We just turned 50. Well, life is halfway over. No, what you said. What's, what, what's, episode 50. No, no. no. But we that's how people get when We surpassed when they, our, life, our lifetime, half of our lifetime That's how people get when you're like, I'm turning 50. They're either like super happy or they get super sad. If you haven't seen it, check out Regina Hall's birthday song. Hi, freaking hilarious. But I can't repeat it on here. Um, anyway, it's significant that this is episode 50 for the Commerce and Chill podcast because we've been doing this for about a year now, right? Uh, yeah. Wow. It's been a year. It's been that long. Yes. And according to the episodes, yeah, 50 weeks a year. Look at there. 52 weeks in a year. I know, but I'm saying like I'm, I'm rounding up. Okay. Just in case somebody would be like, I like to, I like to round up, especially when it comes to money that is coming to me. I like to round up. According to the blog PacificContent.com, the average podcast lifespan is 174 days. And that is based on shows that are indexable as of November 2018. So 174 days. So not 174 episodes. Right. Okay. So that's a. The, so I guess we passed we, the average. If we wanted to break that down, the average podcast doesn't even go half a year. Yeah, they. I don't even think I read somewhere like it doesn't even go past a couple episodes. Like five episodes that yeah. I read somewhere. Because it takes mad work. It, it ain't easy. Like, you gotta do some research. You gotta talk about stuff, relevant stuff that adds value. You and gotta engage with people. If you get value, 
subscribe, hit the bell, hit the subscribe button. Come on, let's get the let's get the numbers up. Tell you if they can see it there as well. Watch us there. Yeah, but it takes work. And then that's just filming it. Then there's behind the scenes. You gotta edit it, the audio. There's a lot of work to it. Then you gotta, you know, publicize it, get it out there. So yeah, I can see why people drop off because it ain't it ain't easy. It isn't especially easy. if you're doing it by yourself. Thank and, goodness we got a good team. And speaking of work, a couple of episodes ago, we introduced you to our new team member, Mr. Volquez, and I challenged you to get the likes and subscriptions up so that he could keep his job. I'm not even gonna look at the numbers, but this is the season. Eighty-three subscribers. To be jolly. Eighty-three, but that's all right. We're working on. We some, are celebrating. We got a new plan. We're working we on some family. promo content. Mr. Volquez is still here. Commerce and Chill has his own website. Check it out. Commerceandchill.com. Go there. Put in your email address. Sign up for the Commerce and Chill newsletter. The Commerce and Chill newsletter, you get you get first-hand information of when new episodes drop. You get entered in the weekly coming soon contest for Commerce and Chill merch. But one of the morals of the story we work is... On, it's going to get out there. I said if we didn't get a five-fold increase with Mr. Volquez's help... It was wraps for him, but we reevaluated the key performance indicators. He's been adding so much value in other areas. He so truly does add value in a lot of areas. And we have an awesome team. So we want Mr. Volquez to stay. Keep up the great work, Mr. V. We've over, over 50 episodes. We've made some changes. We've grown. We made some transitions. Got some fancy equipment here. Look at here. Look at here. Got some new team members. Thanks to our sponsors. My pocket. (laughs) (laughs) We got some new team members, you were saying? We got some new team members who are gifted in different areas where we didn't have skills before. So um, we do a lot more research and a lot more writing to prepare for each episode. Yep. And we're going to do even more. And so for today's episode, in thinking about milestones and thinking about history, the team um, encouraged us to talk about our what we do here at Johnson Security, right? Yep. Because last in the previous episode, we talked, talked about, about what we soapbox. do at the Soapbox. So if you missed last week's episode, the Soapbox is our premium laundry and dry cleaning cl- clothing and garment care business located in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, where we will pick up and deliver your orders and... To your home or your business. Yes. Or your favorite restaurant if you're there eating. And by cleaning your clothes... Or your local water we'll and We'll give you back time. We've done that too. So the team wanted to know, eh, why don't you tell the people in Commerce and Chill Land who may not know uh, a little bit about your experience leading and expanding Johnson Security. So if anybody out there follows me on LinkedIn, uh, you will see that my moniker is Jessica Johnson, the security lady. Hashtag security lady. So how'd you become the security lady? How'd I become the security lady? Well, because when I got started, I didn't know too many Jessicas in the security space. Okay. And because um, I had the opportunity to meet Melinda Emerson, who is the small business lady. And I heard her talking about branding and positioning. And I couldn't be the small business lady because like, I didn't do all things small business. That is true. But I did do security. So I said, I'm going to be the security lady. I also went to a workshop where um, the presenter encouraged us to update our LinkedIn profiles. And so using his advice, that's how I captured the moniker. So they the encourage you lady. to update your LinkedIn profile mm-hmm. 
for the current company or job that you have. But why was it so important for them to stress that you update your LinkedIn profile? I don't know why anyone wouldn't update their LinkedIn profile to represent their current employment, but that's just random. Especially if they worked there over a year. Why, like, why wouldn't they? I just think that social media is so important to what we do, especially LinkedIn. If you're professional, because that's where people are going to look to find your professional work. So anyway, Johnson security, you became the security lady, right? So people want to know, like, how did Johnson security come to be? You know what? I wasn't there. I can only tell you what I've heard. My grandparents started a business. They started at home. They used experience from work that they had done in their previous careers. And um, they built the business. My grandfather was our first guard and my grandmother kept the books meticulous about keeping the books and they worked together. My grandfather got sick and my grandmother was like, oh, I could do this. But she was raising two kids and keeping a house and taking care of her sick husband. I don't know how she did it. She's superwoman in my eyes. Um, And she figured out how to make it work. So I guess Dorothy C. Johnson is the original security lady. Okay. But I don't think there was LinkedIn in her lifetime. There was no LinkedIn back in the 60s. I'm quite sure of that. Be the first. Um, Right. So from my understanding, right, they really tapped into the relationships that they had in the community um, with their previous employers and with their friends to build a, a, a strong foundation for the business um my grandmother was active in the union she was active in her church as was my grandfather and so through some of their union relationships they started getting contracts with new york city and by virtue of having those contracts with new york city they were able to employ more people and to grow the business Uh, my dad was in the new york state assembly he was was in the assembly district that covers the area where our office is now located and he did that for a short time and he too built relationships with his peers um, the other legislators and also got a better understanding of state government Um, he advocated for minority woman-owned and small businesses when he was working as a legislator in Albany and then when his time of public service, including his elected service, as well as uh, serving as a political appointee. And that's a whole nother uh, episode. Um, He came back to work with my grandmother because by that time, my grandfather had passed away. And so the tandem, the pair of them were able to hustle hard to leverage their relationship and build on the foundation that had been set from the 60s and the 70s. So it's about 1983 is when my father came back into the business act actively. And they did that. My grandmother was active in the business until almost 2000 and then passed away in 2003. And we were able to be a part of the federal government's 8A business development program. And it's like, it was like we were gremlins and somebody poured water on us and we just multiplied. We got much bigger. We got much stronger. We built up our cash reserves. We employed more people. We expanded our geographic footprint. Um, And that's been very helpful in what sustained us until now. And then it's been 12 years since I've been in my capacity. And, um, well, I decided to keep it going because. Well, how did it get from, from them to you? Oh, so my dad got sick. My grandma passed away. My dad was working. My dad got sick. I was living in a whole nother part of the world in my mind. I lived in Texas. And when my dad got sick, I moved back home. But I didn't start immediately working in the business. I got a job. 
because my mother reminded me, New York is expensive. You cannot come back to New York without a job. And because we didn't know enough about the status of the business, she didn't want me to assume that I would just come back into the family business and have a job. She wanted me to, to make sure I had something of my own um, and then make the determination whether there was a place for me in the business. So I worked outside of the family business for uh, three, three years when I moved back to New York and sharpened some other skills, developed some of my own relationships. And when I realized how grave my dad's illness was, I started spending more time with him. I was able to take advantage of my FMLA benefits at work and not have to worry about not having a job while I was going to doctor's appointments with him. And in those times, we would talk about the business and he would, would give me the most transparent view of what Johnson Security did, more so than he had ever done before because mm -hmm. he was very guarded with information about the business. I think it was because he always encouraged my brother and I to follow our own paths and didn't want us to feel like we would be handcuffed to the business. Right. So if we wanted to come in, it would be on our own terms by choice. Um, but when he got sick, he began to, to share a lot more with me. Unfortunately, I didn't have that much time with him before he passed away. So when we decided we were going to press forward, it was a lot of learning on the job. Right. So, so was there a conversation between you and your dad prior to say, okay, we're going to start making a transition for you to take over? No. Okay. No, I mean, I can remember sitting in, in, um, one of his, uh, chemotherapy treatments and, um, he, he walked me through the bidding process. He walked me through looking at contracts. He walked me through an upcoming site visit. And he, again, he was very transparent and blunt. He was like, look, I'm going to tell you right now, these RFPs, they're a dog and pony show. But you got to do it. Sounds like something I say all the time. You got to do it. Great um, man. And so the conversation of transition, we didn't have that. Because I think in his heart of hearts, he was hoping that he would be alive forever. And didn't really embrace his mortality until the final days. And by that time, we had all started grieving and nobody was really thinking about the business. All right. So basically, it went from Wilbert and your grandmother to your grandmother, Dorothy. Then it went to your dad, Charles, and then transitioned to you. Pretty much. So for two, gener for two generations... You have the business, you have two of the generation who work closely together, your grandparents and your dad, to transition the business, to work together and spend time in it. And then we get to the third generation, and it's kind of a just a quick handoff to you. So when you when you got handed the ball at the fourth quarter with three seconds left on the clock on your own 10-yard line, you know, what were your thoughts when you were like, Am I gonna take over Johnson Security? Am I gonna you know, cash out the, the chips I can get for it. You know, what were your thoughts at that time? So I'll challenge you to look at it from a little bit of a different point in the game, right? Because if you say it's the fourth quarter, that assumes that the end is near. I would it, The end could be near, but if you score, then it's not the end because you go to the playoffs and then you play the next game and then you play the, next, you play the championship. So, yeah, I, would I hear what you're saying. It was a close of minutes before halftime. Okay. And um, there's a snowstorm approaching. And you're trying to decide whether you're going to play hard or just be like, forget it. It's snowing. 
we're going to forfeit the rest of the game. Okay. Because so, really, if we, if we so, decided so what, we weren't going to do it, that's what we would have been doing is forfeiting the game. Right. So what was your thought at that time? Like, you know, what, what, what was going through your mind when you had to make that decision? Like, you know, your pro and con list of go forward or, you know, throw in the towel. So the pro and con was we have 16 people who have families. So that's 16 families who are depending on us. If we leave now, there will be a void. There will be a vacuum. There are not enough Black-owned businesses. There are not enough Black woman-owned businesses. There are not enough um, positive business figures in the community where we're located. And it, it would be easy and at the same time selfish for me to have continued in my career um, and not given it a shot. If okay. That makes sense. No, totally. What were some of the challenges that, you know, you would, you would say you experienced that you had to, that you had to navigate, that you had to overcome in a short amount of time with no help. So I would say like the, I just say no guidance from the, pa the past leadership. The three biggest obstacles I faced was number one, ignorance, because I did not intimately know the industry. Right. Um, number two was confidence. So because I was yet grieving, because I had associated the business with my dad and my grandmother who were no longer with me and was kind of navigating semi on my own, I didn't have the same level of confidence then that I have now. And then I would say the third would just be um, the, the question marks, right? There's uncertainty around mm -hmm. almost anything you do. And it's easy to create the the negative narrative. Like, oh, I'm not gonna have a chance because I'm young. I'm not gonna get any chances because I'm black. I'm not gonna get any chances because I'm a woman or nobody's gonna know us or, and, and so, um, you know, I had a very strong support system and everybody said, if this is what you wanna do, I got your back. Okay. So it's not like I ever had to worry about being in it on my own. Um, and what you were kind of running it on your own. And I say sometimes I felt like Russell Wilson. Well, it, you know, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Like people support you, but they don't always know. Like, right. And that's what I want to be clear for, for people, you know, for our audience out there, you know, for our community, there, there are people who are entrepreneurs and then there are people who are thinking about going into business or maybe they have a side business that they're trying to grow. Right. And people always talk about, oh, it's good to have a support system yeah, you know, you have people, your friends or your family who are like, yeah, you know, stick with it. You could do it. They're supporting you, but it's different than when you dare doing it and you have to do it or learn it by yourself. I once heard Tyler Perry talking about your loved ones, um, how his loved ones um, encouraged him or discouraged him along his entrepreneurial trip. And what he stressed was that um, they're looking at it from their vantage point because they love you. And they want what's best for you. And the entrepreneurial trip can be lonely. It can be painful. It can it can be um, very um, dis disheartening. And so he talked about his mother encour hard. encouraging him to go get a job, I think, at the post office instead of living in his car, writing plays and hustling hard. That's and what it she, wasn't that's because what she, she knew. didn't want him to be successful. That's because that was her child and she didn't want him to go through that. Right. And he, he can now look back and reflect on it and appreciate where she was coming from. Because she was sharing what she knew and what she knew security was and she wanted him to have 
this sense of security. And at the same time, he could recognize what parts he he could keep of what she shared and what parts he had to ignore. So when it comes to that, if some if someone was to come to you and ask you for advice, younger person, whatever, older, middle age, do you feel you have an advantage because you've you've worked you worked a nine to you worked a, a job? I don't even want to say a nine to five, but you worked a job before you transitions into being an entrepreneur where, you know, some people just get in it from the beginning because it's third generation, second generation. They, they grow up in the business and just work in it. So do, do you find it's an advantage when people ask you for advice that you can speak from both sides where you gave the example, Tyler Perry's mother only knew about the post office. Right. I'll say that I have a very specific, um, perspective. So I'm trying to learn how to not give advice and how to listen and more so how to take what people share of their experiences and help them to pick out what they need most. Because even though I worked in corporate and then came and worked in, in my family's small business, somebody else who worked in corporate and then went into a small business might not have the same experience. And, right. and I can't act as if um, my, like all small business experiences a monolith because it's not. I can listen and then say, okay, well, this is what you said. This is what I hear. What do you take away from that? And I think that's that's more supportive than saying, this is what I did, do it the way I did. Right. Um, but keep in mind that the United States, in the United States, there are some 43 million black people. And we comprise approximately 13% of the U.S. population. According to the 2018 Annual Business Survey, there are some 124,000 employer businesses that are Black or African-American-owned with at least one employee. That's based on 2017 numbers. This only accounted for 2.2% of the 5.7 million total employer businesses in the US. So when we think of those statistics, we don't own our businesses. We don't own enough businesses. So I wanna encourage anyone who looks like me, um, if they have an idea, to pursue it. Right. Uh, because we won't. But ever, that doesn't mean quit your job. No, I didn't say that. We will never have. Econ economic power until we have a sufficient number of black owned businesses. Well, I don't want to say, it's, I wouldn't just say it's just businesses of color. Mm -hmm. We need to own the more assets and assets of a variety of things. And people, they, I think there's, there's this narrative is so screwed up now, which you need to, just own a business because that gets you to wealth. You need to quit a job and you need to start a business because that's the only way you're going to get rich or you're going to get to wealth or whatever word term you want to use when it's about accumulating assets. And if you do research, there are plenty of people who worked a regular job and they used that salary to acquire assets that produced additional income. And then they used that income and turned it into more assets. So when they retired from their job, those assets that they purchase are now supporting their lifestyle, their children's lifestyle, and potentially their grandchildren's lifestyle. And I'm going to take it one step further. It's critical that women own assets 
There's a saying, when you educate a woman or you educate a girl, you educate a nation. Women are integral to the economy, education, and well-being of our communities. When we make money, we reinvest more into ourselves, our families, and our communities than men do. Not knock is just what it is. And in a black community, only approximately 36.1% of our businesses are owned by women. So if we make, if say men and women are at parity, 50% each, right, which we're not, um, we have, we're more, there are technically more women than there are men, but the representation of business ownership is much lower. We need to see some shifts there because black women lead, black women will help to bring our society around and black women will be key in us reaching, reaching significant milestones, whether they're within the family, mm-hmm. whether they're within business, whether they're within the community in, in media, or if, um, it's just in general, right? So we are very fortunate here that our business, Johnson Security, is nearing 60 years, a 60-year legacy, and we continue to push forward. We are very fortunate that we also have the Soapbox, which is celebrating our fifth anniversary this year. We are fortunate to be celebrating our 50th episode of the Commerce and Chill podcast where we bring you our best thoughts and insights on the intersection of black business, small business, entrepreneurship, and black love and marriage. And we look forward to all the other milestones that we will potentially reach, um, especially after we get through this year. That's been um, a significant and interesting one called 2020. And once we get well past COVID, what do you have to add, Chief? So from starting then with you know, 16 employees and to now to 200 employees, you know, and getting numerous awards, for, you know, for the firm. Personally, you, you got another one today with was city it New and, York City and New York City responsible 100. Right. So where do you see yourself pushing JSB, you know, the goals for the coming year or coming years? as we continue to grow and, and, and push forward, you know, into this going into the 60 year mark. Well, we have significant goals for Johnson security, especially in light of how our community, our local community has been impacted by COVID. Um, you hear me talk at, without end about the unemployment rates here in the Bronx. You also hear me talk about the poverty rates here in the Bronx, and I don't see it getting any better. And in the 12 years that, that I've been here, I've worked with elected officials. I've worked with local community um, organizations, and I'm still not seeing the improvements that we need. Um, And so I want to take what we do to a higher level. I want to work with more community organizers, organizations, um, and with elected officials who are not just content with being elected, but who are really focused, laser focused on creating results here in the district. Um, also being able to leverage some of the corporate relationships that we have and the access that we have to dynamic, um, philanthropic leaders, as well as just the bomb diggity business leader. So like when I get the opportunity to listen to a Warren Buffett, what can I take away and bring back to the South Bronx to make our corner better? And if we start one, one house at a time, one block at a time, one borough at a time, one city at a time, 
one state at a time. That's how we really evoke change. And that's what we're going to do here at Johnson Security as we push towards our 60th anniversary. All right. That sounds like a plan. I guess we got a lot of work cut out for us in the coming year. So if you want to see the transformation, if you want to partner with us, if you want to tell us about milestones that you have achieved, connect with us, connect with us on social, give us comments, give us feedback. If you're online, uh, call the offices. Um, There's so many ways to catch up, but we want to have a dialogue with you. We don't want to just talk at you. We want to make sure that we're giving you the information that you need and that we're celebrating your milestones with you. So this has been Commerce and Chill. Episode 50 in the books. Thanks. See you soon. Oh, 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 o